Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak through it, uh, that you'd encourage us, Father, uh, that you'd challenge us and you would call us uh, deeper and deeper into relationship with you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. We're getting near to the end of our series on James. This is actually my last sermon in James. Uh, I'm gone next week. Uh, we've got uh, some things in Winnipeg that we're doing, and then our district is having a, our church district is having a leadership retreat or refresh days. Uh, there's a business meeting as well, so it's not just all retreat. But anyway, we're uh, we've got some church leadership stuff that we're doing uh, in the White Shed. Should be really fun. So you pray for us; that'll go well. Uh, we've got an appointment with Noah. Uh, in Winnipeg as well, so you can pray that that goes well. Uh, so I won't be here next week, but Pastor Valm is going to wrap up uh, our last section on James. But I get to do this one, which is great. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters. And it's okay for you to say brothers and sisters there, because Adelphoi in Greek can mean both, so it's okay. I know it just says brothers in your Bible, it's okay. Brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. It, Pay attention to this, uh, and keep your Bibles open as we go. James is saying, in light of everything I've talked about already, therefore, right, be patient. Be patient, therefore, because of everything I've just said, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So we're called to patience, but in light of what, and it's important to go back and go, what is, what is James talking about that we can therefore know we need to be patient about? So if you look back, over the last, if you look back over the last few chapters, really, I'm going to summarize it for you. But James has been calling the church in the first century. Remember, he's he's the half brother of Jesus, is the most common thought, uh, and he's pastoring the church in Jerusalem. So this is the first church of uh, Messianic Jews, of so Christian Jews, in Jerusalem. It's the first church, and uh, James is pastoring them, and a lot of James sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount, like Jesus' words, and it also sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs, that James is writing wisdom for them to live out. So that's why it's a lot of it's kind of this down-to-earth kind of stuff. And a lot of what he's been talking about, the first church, I think, really applies to us in the, in the 21st century as well, right? Put away your partiality, put away your pride, uh, the power of your words, right? We, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the power of your words. I mean, this stuff is sort of timeless in nature, and he warns also against the arrogance of wealth, uh, the neglect of the poor, those sorts of things. And, and he also warns specifically about kind of infighting in the church, the sort of things that happen where we, there's disagreements and, and things don't get settled. And he says this goes against uh, what he calls the royal law, which is uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So we need to live that out. So in contrast, though, to the to the wealthy boasting that we talked about last week, uh, in contrast to thinking you're the master of your own life, in contrast to even the excessive wealth, uh, the self-indulgence that we talked about last week, especially the one that, that works on the poverty of others, he says, you need to, you need to go into a countercultural way of living. And you know, if I, if I think about our own world, I think some of those same problems exist, don't they? There's a, there's a big divide between the rich and the poor, uh, we still don't really know how to use our words properly. A lot of times we hurt each other with our words, right? Uh, and we still see a great excess of wealth and all sorts of pride and issues that come along with that. It's a very similar sort of thing. And James says, in light of all of that, you need to learn a patience. You need to learn a patience rather than despairing at all the sort of issues that you see in the world. 
And I, I don't know about you, but if you look at the news, uh, or you, you know, read in the paper, or you go on the internet, or however you kind of get news these days, um, it can be kind of depressing, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, there's a shooting in Vegas, there's all sorts of kind of terrorism stuff going on, stuff here at home that kind of makes you go, oh man, this isn't great. And uh, it doesn't take long to kind of get yourself really down about things. But in response to all of that, James' world wasn't very good either. He says, in light of all of that, you need to be patient. And I think it's easy for us to look at the world around us, or uh, even the world in the church, uh, you know, our own sort of church culture, and just kind of go, it's terrible, right? Like, this, it's not what it's supposed to be. And, and that can be true. And then the response is either to say, you know, it's, I'm just going to despair. Like, it's just so bad. We're never, there's no hope. Or we can say, it's, it's just terrible, and I'm just going to ignore it all. And neither of those are good responses, James says. When you see the things in the world that, that are hard and difficult, and when you see the things in the church that kind of break your heart, the response is a patience and a hope. Be patient, says James. Look at verse 7 with me. Once again, I'm just going to read it to you, 7 and 8. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. There's an there's a object that we're hoping for, the coming of the Lord. Then he says, uh, he gives this example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains, meaning this kind of harvest time for them. You also be patient to establish your hearts, sort of uh, guard yourself, establish yourself, uh, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So three times there we get patience, right? Be patient, brothers. The farmer's patient. Verse 8, you also be patient. It's kind of hammering it over the head, right? Patience because there's one who is coming, and when he comes, he's going to set things to right. He's the one that hears the cries of those experiencing injustice in the world, and those cries are not going to go unanswered. And when he comes, he's going to bring justice and peace, uh, and he's going to raise up the oppressed. And so, so James says, you can have hope in the coming of the Lord. We're going to return to that in a moment. But look at where he goes from here. So be patient because of all that's going on in your world. And I don't know what's going on in your world. Maybe you've got stuff going on. Maybe you look outside and things are bad. Or maybe in your own life, in your own marriage, or your family, or your workplace, or at school, things aren't great. I don't know. But all of us have stuff going on. James says, don't despair in that, but be patient. Be patient because of Jesus. And you can be hope because of Jesus. And then look what he says here. Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged, because the judge is standing at the door. So the, the Lord is coming, and then we get the reminder again, and he's coming as a judge, and here he comes. And he's right here, so watch yourself, right? It's sort of like... Uh, if you're, as a kid, maybe you're playing downstairs in the basement, and then you hear, you know, maybe things were getting out of hand, you're maybe rowdier than you should have been, and then you hear mom or dad is coming down the stairs, and suddenly you're like, okay, we've got to straighten up, put the, put the cushions back in the couch, you know, whatever it might be. The judge is coming, and uh, James says, so pay attention. But isn't it interesting, in light of all the stuff that could be happening, James says, don't grumble against one another. He's just been talking about what seems like much more serious issues, Right? Uh, business people taking advantage of others, uh, not paying people properly, all sorts of issues with wealth, all this kind of big picture cultural stuff. Don't grumble with each other. I think it's interesting, James, is what, what he's doing here is calling us, listen, there's already enough issues in the world that the judge needs to come and sort it out. Don't you contribute to them. Don't you get going on them. Right? There's enough other things going on. You don't need to join in that. 
You need to live out a different sort of life, the life of Christ in the world. You don't need to join in with that. There's more serious things going on. Now, what does this patience really look like? Look at verse 10. What kind of patience are we really called to have? And I think, friends, we need to have this more than ever, perhaps, uh, when we look at our world today. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So he's saying, look, the prophets were, were patient. They were steadfast in really difficult times. A lot of them were, were killed for what they did, killed for their faith. Uh, but they were steadfast and hopeful. They were faithful. They were humble. We looked at them as an example. And then he says this, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, of the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So even in times of, of persecution, when it came to the prophets, James is saying, look at, they had a they had a faithful patience when their world was really falling apart. Uh, yet God came through for them. God came through. He didn't give up on Israel. He didn't give up on the world. He didn't give up on them. He was faithful to them even unto death. And then he says, remember Job as well. I mean, what did Job endure, right? The death of his family, uh, his wife turning on him, uh, the loss of all his livelihood, right? Uh, everything that he had that would have been a blessing, that would have been part of his, you know, blessing status in life, everything, all his possessions, all of it's taken from him. He had terrible physical pain because his health was his health failed, right? He had terrible emotional pain as his friends turned on him. But the suffering of Job is not the end of Job's story. And I think that's what James is saying here, too. Listen, things were really bad for Job. Things were really bad for the prophets at times. Things might be really bad in your own life. But that suffering was not the end of the prophet's story. That suffering was not the end of Job's story. And whatever you're going through today, whatever suffering you might be experiencing, that's not the end of your story either. In the end, for Job, God restores family and livestock and possessions and his health, right? We get to the end of the book. Uh, Job is never told why all this was taken from him. He's never given a reason for the suffering. But God says, will you trust in me, in my goodness and my wisdom? Will you be faithful? Will you be patient in suffering? Job says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And at the end, all is restored to him. There's a tremendous hope there for us two friends, that whatever you might be going through, and maybe things are good right now, I don't know, but chances are if it is good, there's going to be times where it's not, right? There'll be times where something comes up that's really hard. And James is reminding you, look at whatever the suffering comes, you may not get all the answers like Job. You might not see your, your nation turn around. The prop, many of the prophets didn't. But you can be faithful and patient in God who is our hope and our peace and our rest. He'll be with you in the suffering and he will make sure all is settled in the end as the judge. It's incredibly hopeful for us, isn't it? Now, what does he mean by the coming of the Lord? Three times James brings this up. If you look kind of back a little bit at verse four, he talks about the cries of those who are treated with injustice. Do you remember that? We talked about uh, the wealthy having uh, co-worker employees under them and not paying them well. And now these people are crying out because of the injustice done to them. And, uh, and many of them are, are dying, and, and it's a terrible kind of poverty situation going on because of the greed of, of the wealthy. And James says uh, in verse 4 that the cries of those treated with injustice, they've reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. 
And that's where he evokes uh, God, God's character as the leader of angelic host, but kind of God in his power and his might kind of coming to set things to right. So verse 4, he brings it up, the coming of the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Uh, now in verse 7, right, wait for the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. So pay attention, right? Three times we've gotten it. What happens when the Lord comes? Right? What, is, what is James referring to? What, what is he actually bringing up for them? And I think what he's doing is he's picking up this really, this really interesting idea throughout the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament of the day of Yahweh, the day of the Lord. And when the day of the Lord happens, uh, it's incredible news because this is when God is going to come and dwell with his people. He's going to return and uh, the people, the nations are going to come in and be reconciled and there's going to be restoration. Uh, and the knowledge of the Lord is going to flood the world. There's going to be great celebration and rejoicing and kind of it's almost like a happy ending, like things are going to go well. Here comes God. It's the day of the Lord. He's returning. So it's incredible news, uh, restoration in life and back to relationship, back to co-working with God, back to working with God for the flourishing of the world. This is Genesis 1 and 2, our first vocation, joining in with God in the cultivation of the world for his goodness. That's what we're called to initially. And so the day of the Lord is a fantastic thing when God comes. Uh, really, really good. But the day of the Lord is also... It's also kind of terrifying news because it's also the day when God comes as judge and he's going to judge all the injustices that have occurred. So the day of the Lord uh, depends what side of the coin you're on, right? So if you are uh, an oppressor, the day of the Lord's bad news for you. But if you are the one being mistreated and experiencing injustice, the day of the Lord is, is fantastic news, right? It's, it's, it's uh, what you've waited for at long last come true. Yeah, so it depends. If you're committing the atrocities, it's a day of judgment. But if you're experiencing suffering and persecution and whatnot, whatnot uh, this is the day when all uh, God's justice is going to come and things are going to be set to right. And so God's heart, James reminds us, it's, it's, it's compassionate and merciful, right? If you look at verse 11, God's heart is compassionate and merciful. So you can wait, uh, as Christians, you can wait in the midst of suffering uh, with a with a, a steadfastness, kind of like the farmer, and, and knowing Jesus is going to come and set things to right. And in the meantime, you need to live out the compassion and the mercy of God as well. Don't contribute to it. Don't start grumbling and causing more issues. He's coming. You don't want to be, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. Um, but stay in his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness. That's where he wants, where he calls us to be. And live out the character of God wherever you might be. So be steadfast, he says. You can rest assured that God's going to bring justice to the places that need justice. And friends, I don't know about you, but if you think about places in the world today or things in history, where you go, that was, that was a mess. That was terrible, right? Consider the world wars or any of the issues going on today, huge economic issues going on. Uh, we need some help. We, we seriously need some help. Uh, when we think of the 20th century, too, right, with so many nations embracing a, a modern secularism, uh, uh, a humanism, saying, well, we can, we can make human flourishing work on our own. And what did we find out 20th century is the bloodiest century in human history? We've made a real great show of it, haven't we? Yeah, we can do it on our own. Bloodiest century in human history. Millions upon millions killed in this last century. And we really think we've got the answers? Really? Huge injustices. God's going to come and set things to right, but we need to be patient, folks. 
That suffering's not going to go unanswered, but his heart, the heart of God, is that mercy and that compassion and that grace, and we need to live that out too. So don't put your hope, friends, in uh, how much wealth you can store away for your retirement. Don't put your hope in what kind of status you can set up for yourself. Don't put your hope in the kind of influence you might have in your future, but put your hope in Christ, the one who will come and set things right, and in the meantime, live out his mercy and his compassion and his grace in all the places where he's called you to live and work and study and rest and play in your family and your school, whatever that might be, live out the life of Christ. Live it out. And when you see injustice happening, you can be patient and know God doesn't let that go. He's going to set that to right. Might not be in my timing, but he's going to do it. He's going to do it. So I don't know, friends, today what, uh, what maybe you're going through. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe your, your, your marriage is going through a breakdown. I don't know. Maybe you're having trouble relating to your kids or your grandkids. Uh, maybe you're, you're going through criticism with your coworkers at work or having trouble finding work or you're retired and, and you're finding yourself with, with time and you don't know what to do with it and, and you're struggling to know what your place is in life or in the world. I don't know. But James' words here uh, are an assurance and a hope for us that whatever the suffering is that we see uh, outside of us, whatever the suffering is that we see in the church, whatever the suffering is that we carry in our own hearts, God is not unaware of that. He's present in it, and he will set things to right when he comes. So we can be patient, and we can hope, and we can find our comfort in Jesus. And I think throughout James, we get this picture of being almost fractured people. Uh, We're called to a new life in Christ. If you're a Christian, uh, you know he saved you, he's done a new work in you, and you begin to live that out, and yet there's... There's still sin. We still fall. We still fail. And so we have this kind of fragmented self, and God wants to make us whole. That's what he wants us to do. Uh, He wants to do that work in us. And so we're called, uh, friends, as Christians, uh, to mourn the mistreatment of others. We're called to mourn the destruction of God's creation. We're, We're called to mourn when there's poverty and sickness in the world. But we're called to a hopeful faithfulness as well. But God's going to do something about it. He's not just going to let it go. God hears those who are, who are boasting, those who kind of say, you know, I've got everything under control. I'm really something. God hears that. God hears the cries. He hears your cries when you're in the middle of serious pain in your own life. He hears all of that. James says, you wait with hope and patience in the middle of that. Don't contribute to it. There's lots of ways you can contribute to it. You just live with hopeful patience. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't get into, don't get into sort of, uh, this means making promises, not swearing in terms of cursing, the yes and yes and no be no part. Um, but let your word be faithful and integrous with who you are. You live that up for Christ. That's what he's saying. Because he's coming. He's coming. Friends, Jesus calls us, and we really see this throughout James. He calls us into a new way of being human. He's redeeming us as people. He's calling us into a new community together. We need to keep that in mind, friends, that as we, as we go about our lives as Christians, as we go about our life in the church and in the world, there are many things that would come against you uh, that would rally against you to say, don't live out the life of Christ in this place, whatever it might be. Don't stand up for Jesus or don't choose, you know, don't live out his love. It's much easier to hold a grudge or, you know, 
don't uh, speak up when that person's being mistreated because it's easier to just let that happen. There's all sorts of things that would say that to you, whether it's the pressure from friends or your coworkers or whatever, or your own fear and insecurities. James calls us to live with a patience and a hope. That's not a passive thing, it's an active thing. It's a, it's a hope that engages the world with God's love and says he is coming, he is good, he is compassionate and merciful, and I'm going to live out that compassion and that mercy in all the places I can see it. I might not do it great all the time, I may not, might not always succeed, but I'm going to try and live that out to the best of my abilities because I know he's coming. He's going to set everything to right. Incredible. So friends, I pray that whatever, whatever you might be experiencing, that you would be, uh, like the Christians here in James, you'd be patient in that affliction. Uh, the church here in, in James is going to have serious persecution coming up. James himself is going to be killed. Not, not long after writing this, James is kind of the first apostle to get killed. Um, so, yet he calls us to hopeful patience. Isn't that great? And he himself is not going to see the end of that. He's not going to see the Lord's return. But he, he, he calls the church to a love and a compassion and a grace. So friends, be patient in affliction. When you see the weak, be compassionate upon the weak. I pray you be quick to forgive and to love. Uh, you be quick to look to Jesus and be quick to look like Jesus as well. Uh, that we would be patient, whatever it is that we experience in this life. Amen.